Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you guys a game recap from the Thunder Lakers game. Who impressed, what some of the big surprises were, and what this might mean moving forward. And to top it all off guys, I'm going to be giving you a very special deal from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. But just setting the table for the Lakers game, I said it in yesterday's pod, a lot of this game had to do with who would be active for the Lakers. Because as we know, the Lakers, they have three stars on their team. They have Russell Westbrook, they have Anthony Davis, and they have LeBron James. Now, LeBron James, as we knew, was not going to play in this game. But you had Anthony Davis, who was kind of on the fence leading up until tip-off time. Now, he actually played. So you had AD, Russell Westbrook, and I think to fill things out, you had guys like Malik Monk and even Kent Bazemore getting some extended time because he got the starting gig at the small forward. So you go in there, you have Russ, you have AD. That still is a lot of star power. And when you look at kind of where the Thunder were at and where the Lakers were at going into this game, I mean, the Lakers still have the clear upper hand if you remove LeBron. Same goes if you take AD out, same goes if you take Russ out, and I don't know how the sports betters would do it, but even if you took Anthony Davis out of this game, you have Russell Westbrook and you have a lot of veterans going up against a team that's average age isn't even 24, and when you take out those outliers like Mike Muscala and Derek Favors, you can probably whittle that number closer down to... 23 flat or even into the 22 so this is a very youthful team and as we've seen they haven't had a lot of success they were 0-4 going into the game and they did a little bit better you know whenever they played the 76ers we saw some improvement whenever they play the Warriors they're up 15 end up losing the game by what was it eight points so there was some progression but you go into this obviously being the underdog but the big story besides the injury report is just Russ coming back and I think he did it whenever he returned uh, on the Houston side of things. I was at his return game. You know, he does his normal intro where he kind of runs to uh, the baseline and then just starts like pounding his chest, starts screaming. A lot of ovation for him. Whenever you watch it on, I think, Bally Sports Oklahoma, I know whenever I was um, checking the other feed for the Lakers side, they didn't really show any tribute that I'm aware of. Maybe they didn't do it because I know whenever he came back for Houston, that was obviously the main one. You didn't get to see him with the Wizards due to COVID. Um, But I don't think they had one of those pressers or one of those tributes. Definitely got an ovation to begin the game though, and definitely sold a lot more tickets. When you check out what the Thunder were doing in the first, uh, I guess their first home game against the Warriors, you got Steph Curry there. You don't have a lot of fans. There was literally a video on Twitter where you had a dance cam. You had two guys dancing pretty much in a section all to themselves. And that's a little bit depressing. I'm not going to lie. They need to sell a bit more tickets. They definitely had at least the lower bowl filled to like 70-80% in this one. So it looked a lot better. And for it being on a Wednesday, you know what? I'm going to give them a rain check. I'm going to say this is damn near 100%. So they sold a lot more tickets. Definitely a better environment for the team. And when they got right back to action, you could tell there were a lot more fans in the stands. So you open things up with Russ, AD, like I talked about, Bazemore being that small forward. And then for the Thunder, they go out and they make another change at the center spot again. They had Jeremiah Robinson Earl playing against the Warriors in last game, but they put in Derek Favors. And I actually really like this move. I think that they definitely should have done this. Even if Jeremiah Robinson Earl came off of his best game of his career and probably the best game we've seen from a center 
to this point. Jeremiah Robinson Earl versus Anthony Davis or Jeremiah Robinson Earl versus DeAndre Jordan is pretty much a recipe for disaster. Derek Favors, he's been around for 10 plus years. He's a pretty big guy and he's accustomed to playing these types of bigs. You needed to start him at the five. They did that. So I'm happy with, uh, uh, with what Mark Dagnall did there, but that's not even going into the game. So you open things up and the Lakers go exactly where the Thunder are trying to cover. The inside. You can't let the front court pieces start scoring. Anthony Davis pretty much was force-fed the ball to open the game up. Had a layup. Very next play, dunks right under the basket. It's a 4-0 lead for the Lakers. And OKC, they didn't really have a main guy. Now, Darius Baisley was the first person to hit a shot. He had a 3 to make it 4-3. to three. Uh, but the problem was you get that one shot in, you got to play defense on the other end and then hit on the offensive side. They weren't making shots on offense. Definitely were not getting stops on defense either. So they just kept running it through Anthony Davis. He had eight of the team's first 14 points and it was just bully ball. I mean, it got them up double digits almost immediately. It was 14 to three to start this game. And there was no real true option for the Thunder. Now, Darius Baisley, he hit that three. He actually scored the team's first eight points. But what you have to remember, efficiency-wise, this was not a very good uh, stretch for the Thunder. So they kind of just had to find someone. Baisley, you know, he kind of takes shots whenever. So they find him open. If they're sagging off, yeah, he's going to take it. So he ended up hitting that one three initially, hit another one, and then got inside for another basket. So he got the team's first eight points. But the problem is... You know, the Lakers weren't really backing down either. So, yeah, you put up eight, but, you know, the Lakers, they're kind of on that horizon of dropping like 20 points. So they were doing that. Also kept going to the paint. They started kind of replicating what we saw from the Houston Rockets. This time it's not in the third quarter. It's in the first six minutes. DeAndre Jordan looks like he's playing for the LA Clippers again. He's dunking over people, getting lobs. AD's doing the exact same thing. Kent Bazemore stretching it out from downtown. It was kind of a nightmare. And... You had one play where there's a strip steal. Darius Baisley drives in from the left wing, just gets completely held up uh, when he tries slashing in. And Malik Monk is just sprinting down the floor. They end up dotting him with like a full court outlet pass. And who does he find right under the rim? He finds Josh Giddy down there. Stride for stride. They're trying to keep up. I will say Malik Monk definitely had like two, three more steps on Giddy whenever he initially got the basketball. Giddy went to go for a chase down and he did catch up with his longer strides but it didn't stop Malik Monk from throwing it down so he threw down a pretty athletic two-hander came in from the left side and I think Giddy was coming through the middle but yeah it did not look good for Josh Giddy and for Malik Monk I mean we know he has some bunnies I mean he's going up there mid-air adjustments this wasn't a straight vertical jump for him I mean he had to work for it and it made the finish just look so much better. So the Lakers had all the energy in the building. I talked about how it looked like there were a lot of Thunder fans in the building. They were not talking. You could not hear a peep. It was dead silent yet again. And the commentators already talking about this major win. Or not the win, but just the major lead that the Lakers had accrued to that point. So it was getting really, really ugly. It was getting out of hand. That's the best way to put it. And... They just kept scoring around the basket. So they start out with AD. They get DeAndre going. Malik Monk's dunking on people. Last 15 points in the uh, quarter for the Lakers. Uh, 10 of those came right around the basket. So they had anything they wanted in the paint. The Thunder could not shut them down. And the Thunder could not score baskets either. 
41 to 19 was the final from that first quarter. It was ugly. You're getting doubled. There were moments in this where you were thinking, hey, you know, you whittled down the Thunder's total to like 16 to 14 points. They're damn near getting tripled, right? Like it was pretty, pretty bad. And for what it was, um, you know, it just made it significantly worse because it wasn't like the Lakers were going out there making these crafty plays. They just had to throw it right around the basket. And on the other end, they just created their own plays off of the Thunder's mistakes because there was turnover after turnover. There's bad passes. There were just missed shots leading to fast break buckets like the Monk one. Just errant mistakes that should not be happening. All of them were happening for the Thunder. When you look at what was going on, the Thunder, they were shooting 30% from the floor and the Lakers, they were just cherry picking. They were getting any basket around the cup. They shot 68% from the field. No one has any business shooting that in a 12-minute span. You know, you start out maybe 5 of 7 or something on the field in the first 4 or 5 minutes. Yeah, I get it. That makes sense. You don't continue that through 12 minutes of basketball that tells you kind of what kind of defense the thunder were playing and there was kind of just a lack thereof to be honest because it was almost bully ball at some portions and it looked like it was going to get out of hand to where you're looking at 30 35 point deficits that the thunder would need to claw back from and the nightmare continued as you got into that second quarter number one Mark Dagnall was already deploying lineups that we have not seen really at all. Gabrielle Deck has been just relegated to a fourth quarter role when you're down 30. He doesn't play in the first half. He doesn't play in the third quarter. He's pretty much player number 15 out of 15 on the active list. He got in to open the second quarter and he actually hit a basket to kick things off. So you see him get hot didn't matter though. The Lakers, they got on a run again, started out with a 10-3 response, and it was just alley-oops again. This time, you had Dwight Howard looking like he was playing for the Magic, and you had Carmelo Anthony throwing an alley-oop dunk down. Now, how on earth does that happen? I couldn't tell you. Carmelo has no business touching the rim at this point, but he's doing it. And that play in of itself is kind of like the symbol of just how the night was going for the Thunder. Nothing could go their way. Things that shouldn't be happening were happening every single time down the court. And next thing you know, it's like a 25 point lead for the Lakers. And the Thunder's offensive struggles, they didn't go away after it was a 25 point deficit. Now they started hitting some shots, but it was still an issue inside. I'd say the defense probably even got worse. You had Malik Monk again going into the open floor. He had a reverse jam. You had alley-oops again. Russell Westbrook got one. Rajon Rondo looked like he was playing for the Celtics. Like His penetration game was wacky. He was turning the corner on anybody he wanted to. Just flip shot after flip shot. I think the best comparison is probably when Eric Gordon played. I think it was on Friday when he dropped 22 points, really only off of drives. There was just no walls of defense to stop him. There was not any for Rondo either. So you had the Lakers at 70 points in the second quarter, and the Thunder only had 44. That's a 26-point swing for the Lakers, and that's pretty much game for the Thunder in any typical circumstances. You should not be clawing back from a game when you're down 20 points, you know, in the second quarter. Who cares what quarter it is? It's a 20 point deficit. You should not be in play anymore. It's 26 now. Pretty much looked like they were down for the count. Now, they made things interesting to close the half. It was a 12 to 2 run. 
and it was a 72 to 56 game at the buzzer but there was a play where they actually could have got it down to 14 Lou Dort just went coast to coast with the basketball it was beautifully set up weaves through like three defenders has a wide open layup finger roll back iron rolls out and you walk out of there down 16 so that was a little bit demoralizing it's obviously better than a 26 point game of course but yeah it did spoil the ending a little bit there so you walk out and actually when you look at it I think the Thunder's offense was all right in this first half they ended up shooting 43.5 percent on the field that's 20 of 46 when you're checking the overall totals and then from three 33% went 6 of 18. Both of those I would not be complaining about. And they did really well at the free throw line. They were making it up. That's how they got to 56 points. That's probably the most they've scored in a half uh, so far. And it's because the refs had to keep the air in the whistle. They took 16 free throws. And that's something that you see at the end of a game, not in 24 minutes. Problem is, they get 16 tries. They only hit 10 of them. So they left a lot on the plate. And the Lakers were sure to pick up the empty scraps. One good moment from the first half. Darius Baisley, he had 13 points, which I thought was pretty good uh, relative to what we've seen from him. Shot 5 of 9 to get there. Typically, you'll see him drop 15 points, maybe have 7 rebounds. Dude shoots like 4 of 13, and everybody's pretty upset about it. He was a bit flaky, and I'm not going to lie, there were moments in the quarter when he even was hot that people were not happy, and it was more or less just like complaining, like, hey, maybe you put Poku out here, even though Baisley has gotten a couple shots, uh, because he was stepping out from three. Yeah, he was hitting them, but also, there were two shots at the top of the key, almost identical setup and identical results. He ends up shooting it, and it goes far right, you know, not not even ra- uh, grazing the right side of the iron either. It just shanks right off the backboard, and you're just thinking, man, what is going on? And Baze had some statements before the game, like he said that, you know, he needed to do a lot better. He was doing good, but those moments, it's like, well, were those three-point shots earlier a fluke? Should the Lakers be seriously defending him? Didn't seem like it mattered that much because he still got to the basket, got to the foul line, got his 13 points, but it was just kind of food for thought there. And then for the Lakers, you know, you could talk about anybody on this team, really. You could talk about Kent Bazemore playing like a monster, Carmelo Anthony throwing down dunks. There was just good moments from every single one of those players. Even Austin Reeves got minutes in the first half. And I remember just putting a footnote out there, like Austin Reeves uh, was just getting right by defenders. He did it at the right wing, maybe, you know, pump fake a bit, make one tiny move, nothing crazy. The Thunder would bite every time, and he just have to take a step or two in, have a wide open mid range. I think he went one of two on the th- that particular play, but it's just like, man, you can't be letting Austin Reeves uh, be doing that to you. Uh, but yeah, uh, when you want to check the actual stats from them as a collective, they didn't have to shoot a lot of threes, understandably, but they could have lived at the three point line, and they still probably would have clocked seventy two points. They shot seven of fourteen from there. But the big deal was what they were doing in the paint and how they were doing it. They had 29 made field goals in this half. 20 of them came assisted. That is unprecedented. You should have 20 assists in the game. You shouldn't have 20 assists this early on. I think that's why they were doing so well. They just kept the ball moving. The Thunder couldn't keep up. And the Lakers were always a step or two ahead anyway. So it led to some easy buckets around the basket. And they had 38 points in the paint 
in total. Thunder, just for reference, they had 19 assists in their last game against the Warriors. So to see that, you know, the Lakers already outscore them uh, in that category was kind of devastating. It does get worse, though, when you look at what Russ was doing. He almost had a triple-double by halftime. He had seven points, nine rebounds, and 10 assists. Anthony Davis had 15 points and three rebounds of his own. And then you had all the lobs that I talked about earlier. So it looked like going into the third quarter, there was just about nothing the Thunder could do. You're talking about a lead that's 16, but to be fair, it was at 26, like five or so minutes before in the game. So you might have a little bit of a chance. You got to make an impact immediately though, if you want to have an opportunity for yourself. And Darius Baisley actually hit the first shot again for the Thunder to open the second half. It was a step back three, gets it down to 13 points. And they started getting on another run. You started seeing guys like Lou Dort get active. He got to the charity stripe, hit both free throws. Derek Favors was setting pick and rolls. He was getting inside for layups. Josh Giddy got open with his floater. And now you're looking at a lead where it's still hanging around at 13. So they aren't letting the, you know, the Lakers just destroy them to open things and make it just impossible to take over yet again. They're clinging around, and Lou Dort hit a 26-footer on the very next play to get it down to 10 points. Dangerous territory for the Lakers, and they had a couple of plays that gave them a bit of a bandage, but it did not stick. They had Russell Westbrook going for an and one, had another shot that went in to get him maybe like six points there. But Baisley came back. He hit a three. Lou Dort hit a three. Made it a toss-up seven-point game at 81 to 74 on an 18 to 7 run. So it was anybody's game, not even midway through the third when during the second quarter, it, this was a laughing stock. This was a game where people on Twitter were making jokes about the Thunder. They were talking about how bad they were. Now you're making jokes about Russell Westbrook, making jokes about the Lakers, saying that they suck because the Thunder made a little bit of a comeback in a span of like 10 minutes. But it was not over. Have to still look at things. The Lakers, they got another gust of points to make it 13 again. But then you had OKC's backcourt that had a little bit of flavor to it. SGA was there. You had Josh Giddy. Those are no surprises. But uh, Ty Jerome was in instead of Teo for this unit. And all three of them whittled in a three-point shot. And then SGA put the icing on the cake. He had five straight points. Made it a single possession game inside two minutes for the third quarter. So now it's time. They weren't already nervous. Their heart is pounding on the LA sidelines. And there was 40 seconds left again. You just got to spoon feed the basketball to SGA. He gave you the five straight, was hitting his step backs. He's taking it one-on-one with Russell Westbrook. He drives in from the right wing, wants to take it, or excuse me, it was the left wing, but he wants to cross over uh, and take a scoop shot on the right side of the iron. And as he's crossing the middle of the lane, he gets hit a bit from Russell Westbrook. And it wasn't anything significant. I will say Russ did hit him around the eye. So it was a face shot. You know, he had to drop the ball and there was obviously a whistle called, but they checked the monitor on the play and they ruled it a flagrant one on Russ. So SGA got a free throw. They got the basketball back. And SGA wanted the final shot on Russ. So it's an isolation at the top of the key. And he went to the right wing. 
he got completely caught and I'm talking maybe like four seconds to go. He already planted his foot down. He wasn't looking to pass. And he was kind of just making that 2K move where you got that one pivot foot and you're almost just doing pump fakes and, you know, just making jabs because the AI is broken and they're going to leave you wide open if you keep doing that. So he's just like going into his bag, last resort type of stuff. And then he just throws this really wacky shot where, you know, he starts moving it forward, kind of dives forward to take this shot, has to change it midair, kind of cocks it, pins it up against his right elbow and heaves it up. He hits the backboard, it goes in, and the Thunder end up taking the lead off the buzzer beater at 99-97. to That was the first lead of the game for the Thunder, and I will tell you what, the Paycom Center was going crazy. You could hear the fans in the arena, and this is when you knew the Thunder was they were on the high side, but they also had all the momentum in the world going into the final 12 minutes. And the big thing you got to look at in this third quarter was the three-point line. The Thunder shot 8 of 12 from distance in this quarter. Now, you can say what you want. Baisley was getting hot. SGA was hitting his stepbacks. They made a lot of plays, and they made a lot of adjustments to make this a perimeter-centric quarter. And that's why I applaud Mark Dagnalt. Putting Ty Jerome in here was big. Because you know he's a shooter. You're going to keep someone on him at all times. And that's going to space out the floor. So Jerome hit one of those eight shots. Yes. Was he the big, big reason? Absolutely not. But you knew what they were catering towards in the third quarter. And it paid off. And for the Lakers, they weren't really looking there. They were kind of looking everywhere. And that was the problem. Probably should have kept it inside. But they shot eight threes. Only hit two of them. So you go into the fourth quarter. Russell Westbrook hits a fadeaway to tie the game up. Josh Giddy again, though, the floater. It was big in the third quarter. He hits another one in the fourth. This time, you tack on a foul to it, so he gets the and one opportunity, and he hits it to put the Thunder up 100 to 97. And then it's kind of just that exchange of buckets again, where you're going to see the Thunder stay around that three point lead. Might go down a point, up a point, doesn't matter. The Lakers were not taking the lead uh, after like the next two or three possessions. But Giddy, he hit another floater to get a three point lead again. Kenrich Williams had a fast break attempt, three pointer actually, where Giddy sliced in from the right wing saw Kenrich Williams kind of sneak into the left wing. This was almost like a three-on-two situation where the Lakers had numbers, actually, uh, but they were kind of packing the paint. They were expecting a giddy floater, and with Kenrich Williams, he's still kind of on the down low, so he snuck up, hit the three-point shot. Now you're talking about an 108-100 to game off a 7-0 run. Six minutes to go. Thunder still have the lead at 108 to 102. And then you start to see that stalemate where maybe for a minute, no one's hitting shots. Isaiah Roby ended that though. He was at the left baseline, hit a turnaround jumper, banked it off the glass, got it back up to eight points. And then on the very next play, Russell Westbrook found himself right under the rim. If he was looking straight up, he's looking in the net. But he just hung around there, gave a pump fake, was able to catch someone airborne and picked up a foul, was not able to hit the layup. At the stripe, he was able to hit one. The second one split, 
It actually worked in the Lakers' favor, though, because you had Anthony Davis, who was right there. He clawed down an offensive rebound around like three or four Thunder members, which really just told you uh, how much bigger the Lakers were out there and how much stronger they were in comparison to, you know, the 19, 20, 21 year old front court that you have for the Thunder. But he was able to salvage the board down, and then he went up for another basket only for Lou Dort to go on the very next play and score another shot. So, you know, AD gets the easy second chance points, but it didn't matter because they didn't play fast break defense. Kind of resets it back to eight points. And at the final two-minute mark, you have it still standing around there. So the Thunder have all the momentum. They have time on their side. They can dribble it out while the Lakers have to play on hyperdrive. And Russell Westbrook, we know him. It doesn't matter if they're up 100 points. doesn't matter if the game's damn near over. He's going to slash on you, and he's going to try to dunk on you. So he had Lou Dort, and he was able to slash on him. Looks like he had it. Uh, Lou Dort kind of came out of nowhere to get into this play. He got banged up. They called it a blocking foul initially, and I think they were in the bonus, so Russ would have gotten to the line. However, Mark Dagnall used his first coaching challenge of this season with this play. Lou Dort, you know, it wasn't like a one-on-one deal. Uh, Russ got through the first layer, and then Dort was kind of hiding around the free throw line to get there, Uh, but it looked like he might have had his feet moving. I don't know. It was a close call. Hands were definitely vertical, but he did get hit in the face. I think think it was his elbow. Russ's elbow might have scathed him a bit, so they checked the monitors. They actually went the other way with it, so Russ was furious. Offensive foul. They actually made it a center jump ball though so you know it it works for the thunder side obviously because you save some points but you don't necessarily save the possession either so you go on for the jump ball the lakers did win it uh and then they go for initial shot just quick trigger doesn't go in russell westbrook gets the basketball he passes it back out but he doesn't really run outside he might go back to like the baseline 15 feet out but he sneaks right back into the play head under the rim again for a layup, simple close shot goes in for them, and they are still back in business, game goes to three points here, and now it's back in nail-biter territory, and the Thunder on the next play, they miss their shot, so it's a one possession game, the Lakers have a chance to tie, potentially win this thing, or bring it to overtime, maybe at its worst, and Rajon Rondo slices inside again, hits it, one point game with 50 seconds to go. Mark Dagnalt had to call a timeout with that play. 50 seconds, a lot on the line. Couldn't really screw much up here. And they decide to put the ball in Josh Giddy's hands. He crosses the timeline and he's slashing from the right wing. They have this set play from the get go. And Derek Favors is kind of hiding around the free throw line. He sneaks inside for a layup. Josh Giddy lobs it over two guys to get there. No one is protecting the restricted zone. And Derek Favors had an easy finger roll right ahead of him. He ended up making it to make it a three-point game for the Thunder. 30 seconds remaining. And in LA's potential final drive, they ended up calling a timeout. They wanted to advance it. Throw it in from the left. Or excuse me, I think it was the right side. Um, but it's right around the right wing. They throw it into Russell Westbrook. He maybe has three to four feet of space, but he's also like 30 feet out. He gets the ball, doesn't even think about it twice. He just launches a three-point shot, did not go in, shanked off the backboard. SGA ends up corralling the rebound, and he finds himself almost at the right corner, um, 
of the court and this is obviously not past the timeline you got to look at the eight second count here and he is trapped there's two guys on him he makes a risky pass to Darius Baisley who's on the other end so now you're looking at the left sideline more importantly here on top of the baseline and he gets presented with one defender he decided to make a left to right behind the back move pretty close to the line but it took him like two to three seconds to get it off so there was an eight second count called mark dagnalt had a timeout he didn't use it he kept it in his pocket and because of that that the lakers got another chance and they didn't even have to foul they just got a perfect stop it's still just a three-point game for them so one three-pointer will do the job and one stop takes it to an extra five minutes it was heart crushing it was a play where you know Basley, you know, maybe shouldn't have done that dribble move. I can't really fault him because he needed to get by. Mark Dagnall definitely should have called a timeout to make sure they could inbound it. They get it to whoever they need to at the line. Hit one, hit two, doesn't matter. Extend it to two possessions, and then you live or die with the result. He didn't do that, and it just put a lot of life back in for the Lakers. So the Lakers get another chance at things. This time, you got like, what, 15 seconds remaining? This is where you could actually hold it out and take a final shot. Same exact setup. You're on the right side and bounding it. They find Malik Monk at the top of the key. He has SGA with them. And Malik Monk thinks it's a game of 2K. He's doing between the legs, size up combos, just anything he can. Tries stepping back, shoots it, air ball, complete whiff, goes out of bounds. So that means the Thunder are inbounding the basketball right under the rim. Josh Giddy gets it, and he throws the ball to the top of the key. Kenrich Williams was going that way. He ends up slipping. Carmelo Anthony is there, and it's almost a shoot-around jumper. This is a practice shot for Carmelo, arguably one of the best offensive players in our generation. Gets it, launches it, air ball and the thunder gets saved so there is still time left don't get it twisted eight seconds gets it down to five with that play and giddy takes it now this is after a timeout of course dagnalt saw that he saw that giddy pretty much threw it right to him off the inbound you want to get it on your half of the court so that's when the last timeout is used josh giddy throws it in again he finds lou dort he's fouled he hits both free throws five point game that's pretty much it. You know, that, that's wraps at five points with five seconds. I don't really know what the Lakers would do. And actually, let me change that. It was three seconds. So you better get the confetti ready. Thunder won the game with that play. So this was a major, major comeback. You still had the final possession, though. And you throw it in. Rajon Rondo tosses it from their left side, still on their half. And Darius Baisley picks it off. And there's a wide open lane. He's not going to let it go to waste. He cocks back a two-handed jam, slams it in with the second remaining, and he hangs on it for some authority. Everyone is going nuts. You got the Thunder guys excited. The crowd is obviously going crazy, and the Lakers are demoralized. They just lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder when they were up 26 points. Who would have expected that to happen? Absolutely nobody. And Russell Westbrook took offense to the play, so Baisley slams it down. You know, you don't really have a guy on that side, so you can't just instantly inbound it. And it's not like it's a running clock, so there's still a second left. They got to throw it in. And Russell Westbrook met Darius Baisley. He pushed him a little bit. They start jawing at each other. Darius Baisley's looking to continue the talk, and it's very awkward because 
Russell Westbrook's coming back. It's like a homecoming. Um, and then obviously it doesn't go Russ's way because they lose the game. Uh, but you know, Darius Baisley throws down this dunk. It's definitely not sportsmanlike. And Russ takes offense to it. Who do you side with? Do you side with Bays and the Thunder, or do you side with Russell Westbrook? I'm kind of indifferent about it. I kind of see both angles. I don't know, but they start talking back and forth, and Russell Westbrook just instantly leaves. Like he already had a, a flagrant, so I guess that counts as a tech. But he just starts storming to the tunnel, and I wasn't in attendance. I really didn't get a good listen to what the fan reaction was. I'm assuming it's mixed, but he just stormed out. He was obviously furious. It was a play that's not sportsmanlike, of course. He got tossed, technically, so it's not like they had to bring him back out. But he was out with a second left in the game. Darius Baisley was all hyped up. You know, he's walking to the other side of the court, puffing his chest out. The Thunder guys, obviously, they're trying to calm down the situation. But you have to imagine they're pretty excited about what happened, too. So they get the inbound in. That's the game. And the Thunder end up on the high side, 123 to 115 so crazy ending uh, especially given the team and then for Russ to go out there and have that little discourse with Baisley too was a bit awkward but you know you can be all whatever side you wish on that one they get the win though they move up to one and four and for the Lakers they're not going to hear the end of this you check Twitter you check social media they're trying to make any sort of joke they can because now they're at two and three and there's already been some moments from this season where I think it was DeAndre Jordan and AD were shoving each other actually it might have been Dwight but you had the bigs kind of pushing each other there's been plays on defense where LeBron seems out of it you know they might have some chemistry issues this one would not have helped it. Now, I don't know if they have issues, uh, but it definitely hurts. It doesn't matter. You just lost to the OKC Thunder, who were losing by 26 at one point to you. And then for the Thunder, you got to be hyped. We saw on Twitter, every single one of those members were saying something. You saw people talking about SGA is a superstar. Baisley claps back with, you know, we already knew that. And Brandon Rabar tweeted that out. Obviously, Brandon's already had that in his head for a while, so... You know, he's just kind of sending it out there. Get your likes, get your retweets. I don't blame the guy, but it's cool to see Baisley still clap back. I don't know if he knows Brandon or not, Uh, but yeah, that was just kind of the good attitude coming out of the Thunder side of things, and they're looking good moving on to their next contest in two days back facing the Warriors. This time, though, it's in San Fran, so that was big. I'm going to give you guys the top players and the top takeaways in a moment, but first, I want to tell you about the deal going on at my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA is back, and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA, the key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. That's not better. You guys can also make same game parlays. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. 
Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, that was an instrumental win from the OKC side. I already talked about the Twitter discussion. I already talked about the end of the game. It was crazy. And this was a statement win. This was a much needed win. They're down 0-4. You know, they're getting these standing ovations regardless if it's a win or a loss. Like, I get it. But you do want to see them win a game. And I understand the tanking deal. You know, I I get it. Like, they need to be losing as many games as possible. But you do on occasion need to get a W. This is one where if you're upset about it, you're just stupid. You're playing stupid. This was big. And to go against the Lakers and get the W... It made it even more monumental. And this wasn't a team that's beaten down to its core. You take LeBron out of here, you're still going to hand LA the title of Goliath in this match. You're still going to count out the OKC Thunder. And for them to come back down 26, which was a franchise record comeback, might I add, this was freaking huge. So it was the tale of two halves, like I talked about. When you check what the Lakers were doing, like I said, they were shooting 68% in the first quarter. They were shooting above 60% through the first half. But then you go into the second half, they're shooting below 40% from three. They're shooting four of 21. That's 19%, by the way. They were just absolute garbage. Um, And... It was ugly because you had the Lakers looking like showtime. You have Magic Johnson, you know, anyone you want, they got on this team. Let's make it the all-time Lakers. You got Magic, you got Kobe, you got Shaq. AD's dunking it like he's Shaq. You got Magic making these lob passes. You got all the finishes from the team. So it was brutal. Like I said, they had 20 assists in the first half of 29 makes. They end up finishing this game with just 29 assists. So they got cut in half and then some. So it's pretty damn ugly uh, in that regard. They should have just kept it in the paint. I think that's why they lost. And when I was watching the game, I was just perplexed on what the Lakers were doing. This was a game where even when they were losing and you saw the lead get chipped away, they never should have been in panic mode. But they hit the panic button. You start shooting these garbage three-point shots when all you needed to do was throw some entry passes inside. And I saw what Dagnall was doing. He was making some defense oriented towards the post. And this is what they have to play because truthfully, they kind of are, they have a deficiency when it comes to front court. This is not new, but when you got AD down there, you have to hone in on shutting him down. So they're playing zones. They're making sure that if AD gets it, it's going to be a nightmare. But even then, I'm still going to force feed it to Anthony Davis. I don't care if he has two, three guys on him. He was still getting shots and he was still getting anywhere he wanted in the post. He was using his pivot foot in ways I've never seen before in this first half. And I'm sure he probably would have done the same in the second half. There was no drop off in terms of production with him. There was a drop off in terms of how many times we got to see him in the ball with the ball from first half to second half. And this is just in the paint. He took eight shots in the paint in the first half, hit six of them. He shot three of five in the paint for the second half. So he just wasn't open enough down there. And I don't even know if it's a matter of being open or not. They just weren't looking to pass it inside. They were looking to create offense uh, from the perimeter. And that did not need to happen. They could have made it a lot more simple. Anyways, Davis still got 30 points. He led the game in scoring, 
shooting 12 of 22 to get there, had eight rebounds and played 37 minutes. Russell Westbrook on the other side of things, he almost had that triple-double by halftime. He got it pretty early into the second half, and he actually picked up a quadruple-double because he had 10 turnovers. So he had 20 points on 8 of 20 shooting, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, and 10 turnovers in 35 minutes. So those were the two mainstays for the Lakers. When you go past that, Bazemore looked good in the first half. He finished the game with 11 points, going 4 of 6, 3 of 5 from downtown. And then Carmelo had 13 points. Granted, he shot 5 of 14 and 1 of 8 from 3, so maybe it wasn't all that impressive. And then Avery Bradley had 13 as well. He actually shot really well from the floor, went 5 of 7 and 3 of 4 from distance. So those were the main people. You know, it looked like everyone was going to get double digits, looked like people were going to drop 40 points if they wanted to, but since they fell off a cliff in the second half, it opened the door for the OKC Thunder, and you could not have predicted that comeback. You know, they end up down, what was it, 70-44 to to start up this game, and to close the game, they go on a 79-45 to hot streak. They earned this game and they shot 50% from the floor off of the second half it bolstered their stat line to where they were shooting a clean 50 and they went 43 of 86 when you look at the three ball they shot above 40% I was clamoring about them shooting 35% in the last game they tack up five points 40.5% is elite from downtown they went 15 of 37 and then the biggest deal had to come from the free throw line. They went 22 of 29 from there. They should not be taking almost 30 free throws a game. That is an issue that Frank Vogel should be screaming at his members about because that should not be happening. Now, SGA was making a lot of calls happen. Lou Dort was getting a lot of calls. The Thunder had to earn it and they had to force them to blow the whistle, obviously. But, you know, 29 free throws is kind of unheard of to be honest. So they got a lot. And I think the big deal is just the efficiency you saw from the first half and the second half. They went 10 of 16 in the first half. And when you look at what they did in the second half, they end up going 12 of 13. So just one missed free throw and you cannot foul them. That was pretty much free points. And they actually were free points because 12 of 13, that's really high up in the 90%. You do not want to mess with that in terms of passing they only had 21 assists so the lakers almost outlogged them in the first 24 but it didn't really matter you had a lot of centralized passers in games before where they didn't get up to 20 assists the main problem was the team leader and assists only had three or four and the isolation was broken down so it was kind of just taking garbage shots the shots they found off of isos and off of unassisted looks actually were pretty wide open and then off the assists they were almost always open like they didn't really have to worry about being heavily contested outside of some rare occasions so they crushed it in this game I think number one you have to talk about SGA 27 points in the game nine rebounds five assists he kept the thunder in from start to finish just like he did in the previous game against the Warriors I'd say he was the best man on the court. Now, you can make a case for AD, and I'd still understand it, but the Thunder got the win, so I'm going to give the edge to SGA. He went 7 of 19 overall, so it's not like he was going off there. He went 5 of 11 from 3, though, 
and that was big. He has to hit the three-point shots for the Thunder to stay in these games just because there's not really a secondary star yet on this team, and we hope Giddy becomes that. We hope Lou Dort has those games, but there was none in this one. SGA was the primary guy, and he had to create looks whenever the paint is jammed. So 5 of 11 is ridiculous. Because of that, he only had two made shots around the basket, but it didn't look that way because when he drove inside, he either got a basket, he kicked it out for a really good look, or he went up and got hounded for free throws. He went 8 of 10 from the free throw line, and essentially, he made it live in hell for the guys in the Lakers uniforms. So, SGA, best point guard on the game, and then he was the best player too. So, really, really happy with what he was doing. He was stepping back to uh, create shots, getting past the first level, and just making things happen. Darius Baisley too. He was the commander for the first half with the 13 points. He had 20 in this game. And, you know, this was a statement game for him. I don't know if he was falling out of Mark Dagnall's graces or if the rotation was not going in his favor. I know last game he lost a lot of minutes. Poku kind of tied with him, and that's what we expected going into the season. But this one, he didn't have any sort of problems, and he made some effort to prove that, hey, maybe I should be getting uh, a good minutes and staying in that starting lineup. He played 32 minutes in the game, and I don't know if that was initially how long he was supposed to play. I don't know if, you know, if it's a blowout, maybe he only has 20 again, but he made it a big reason, and he made it really difficult for Dagnall to pull him out because he had 20 points, six rebounds, two assists, and four steals on the night. And efficiency-wise, that's always been the problem with Baisley. He takes shots that are open, and he just shanks them. And it becomes a liability. It becomes a, a, a talking point to where you don't want him on the court, right? But that was not the issue here. He went 8 of 14. That is very effective for him. But when you go to the three-point line, it gets so much better. He shot 4 of 8 from there. And he's taken four or five attempts a game, and he's only hitting one of them. We've seen games where he's going to one of seven. So it's not like him shooting eight is the big deal here. It's the fact he made four, and it's the fact that he made it, he made himself a threat to where the Lakers have to step up, and then Baisley can actually penetrate and create plays. And he didn't get a lot of assists, but he was out there. He was a man on a mission. He was looking to create shots for himself. And normally it's a problem. You can't really fault it when he was in the zone there. I will say though, like those two shots that hit the backboard did hurt. And it did make you kind of second guess Baze's ability for a little bit. But, you know, he tied it all together to close the game. He had the big stretch where he had the first eight points Obviously had that really big two-handed jam. Now, should he have dunked that? Absolutely not. I think it's one of those plays where it's not sportsmanlike at all. But he's like 21 years old. Mark Dagnall said in the post-game presser that he hadn't addressed stuff like that yet in terms like sportsmanship. So he said it's on him that Baisley did it. Also, though, I mean, I don't really care. I think that it's a play that I'm almost happy happened because it's not sportsmanlike. You shouldn't be doing it. But the Thunder, they got to be pumped up. I would assume after that Houston game, you wouldn't want to show up to practice the next day. You know, Mark Dagnall probably needed to make a major, major pitch because it was bad. You're playing a, a Rockets team where you might actually win it. You just get destroyed for 48 minutes and you almost get laughed at. You play against Philly where, 
you know, you got Seth Curry dropping 23 points on you. That can hurt a little bit. So to get this game and to get it in the way that they did, 26 points, that does not happen. You get the, the comebacks with the Thunder, but not to this degree, and you do it against some stars. Yeah, I'd be hyped up too. I'd be trying to dunk the basketball if we just lost the last four games. Point differential like minus 70 or whatever it is. It's bad. What I don't know what it is, like I said, but it was bad. You know, I'd be jumping up in the air. I'd be hanging on the rim. Now, for Russ's sake, I don't fault him either. I think there's obviously dumb things that can happen. You get consequences, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. That's the prize you get. You get to talk to a really hot-headed and pissed-off Russ after seeing a play like that, which I don't know if Russ would do that or not, to be honest. We've seen Russ before. He's really athletic. I don't know if he would have taken that trip or not. Wasn't happy, though, and after losing to the Thunder, being up 26, I'd be pretty unhappy as well. So I think it's a mutual deal uh, where I think both of them might be in the wrong just a little bit, but I'm not going to really rag on either of them. Russ, you know, he can be a little bit unhappy, can be a baby, but I don't really think it's like a major douche move to be out there and complaining about something like that because I've definitely seen it happen before I think Russ has actually complained I forgot the exact times but there's been games in the last 10 years where altercations happened at the end of the night and I think those scuffles are probably warranted on both ends I think you know even if they got that chit chat with Russ Darius Baisley he'll be all right with the situation I think everybody for the Thunder are hyped and they're glad that dunk happened because hey you get one more extra boost and you know that might be another little reward there finish the game off maybe able to have an athletic play now you want to do it after the buzzer but yeah that was a cool way to finish the game and i'm sure they probably wanted to have a gatorade shower after it because it was a monumental victory going beyond bays though josh giddy was a beast First double-double for him. He's been close to double-doubles. He's been close to triple-doubles too, but this is where he finally got on the board. He ended up finishing with 18 points and 10 assists on the game, and he had a lot of floaters. Floater specialist. You're talking 2K badges? Give this man teardropper on Hall of Fame already. At 19 years old, he's probably one of the better guys when it comes to floaters, and I mentioned it actually going into this game, but... I gave Trey Mann the upper hand in that category because Trey Mann used it a lot in Florida, but Josh Giddy has used it a lot at the NBA ranks, and he's just so difficult to guard because he's six foot nine and he's a point guard. If he gets a step on you, he's dangerous. The issue is though, you know, defenses they can try to step up, they can try to swat him, of course. But Baisley's or not Baisley, Giddy. He's such a smart passer. He's going to throw it inside or he's going to kick it out when he sees somebody open. So if he gets by his defender, you're kind of defenseless in a sense. And that's why he's got so many floaters. And that's why he's picked up some and ones in the process. So a lot of the points came there. When you look at what he was doing from three, wasn't huge. I think he went one of three. Actually, scratch that. He went two of five from three. But the main deal came when uh, he went out for floaters. And then he got three uh, free throw tries, hit two of them. Kind of is what it is. Big thing was the finishing ability and then obviously the passing ability. He leads the team with 10 assists and he was a beast in doing so. Mark Dagnall trusted him from start to finish and it was to the point to where you're actually designing plays in the final minute 
where Giddy is the main ball handler making the final decision, does it perfectly to get Derek Favors that layup and gets them up three, which obviously led to that major fallout at the end there. So he might have had the biggest play of the night uh, off his assisting, but he just had a lot of good passes where he's making read after read, passing out to the perimeter, or just making the pick and rolls work out and the main beneficiary I'll talk about in Derek Favors but they had a serious connection in the game whether it's in the mid-range or just simple kicks right around the basket so I think Giddy had his best performance easily this was a game where you really couldn't tie him down just because of how lethal he was when it came to finishing and his touch is so damn good I think it's going to be hard to stop him moving forward. He has really spread out his wings, and he's done it in a very brief amount of time. Lou Dort's been around the block for a bit. This is his third season. He had to deal with Russ, and I think he did an okay job. He had to move around during the game, too. Offensively, that's where you want to look at, though. 17 points on the game, shoots 5 of 12. Not bad. Also has 6 rebounds in his 34 minutes. He was not good in the areas that I wanted to see, though. Lou Dort needs to excel from three again. He went one of three there, and he didn't have a big enough sample. Honestly, he he really didn't need to shoot threes because he wasn't a major part of the offense. But, you know, when he did get the basketball, he was looking to drive, and he did make it count. So you can't be upset about it. Went inside to get six free throws, hit all six of them. If it wasn't going in at the line, he was going to muscle his way in for the layup anyways. And then Derek Favors... He was all about getting inside, right under the rim, four layups, a little bit of mid-ranges, outside of 10 feet. You're probably going to cross him out, though. That's just not his hot spot. He goes in, has to deal with Anthony Davis. That is a tough, tough task. Jeremiah Robinson couldn't do it. Isaiah Roby couldn't do it. You have to keep him in. And they tried JRE. It was trouble. Derek Favors had to play the final minutes of this game, and rightfully so. He was perfect there, and all he needed to do was play good defense on Anthony Davis, and he checks all the boxes. He's the MVP, but he does even more. He does that, and offensively, he became a problem the Lakers could not lock down just because he could roll the rim and make some plays. He shoots 7 of 8 on the game, gets 15 points, and has 7 rebounds, and he made it really easy for SGA and Josh Giddy to find him around the basket. Just because the high ball screens, not even on high ball screens, just sneaking inside while you had someone already driving in. You don't really need much for those two because they are very, very good playmakers. And Derek Favors, he was a pretty good finisher. So two and two together, it makes it a serious issue for the Lakers. Going beyond those two guys and all the guys I already mentioned, you didn't see much from JRE. He only played six minutes. When you look at the other potential center in Isaiah Roby, he got more run, played 16 minutes. Actually looked good. He had 13 points and two rebounds. Went 4 of 4 from the stripe and 4 of 5 overall. Teo took a hit. He only played seven minutes in the game. Trey Mann, he was hardly out there with five minutes. Poku played seven minutes. Ty Jerome got 14 minutes. First time he actually got legit minutes, which I'm very happy about. I don't think he really deserves to be a third-tier point guard on a team like this, but granted, I like all of them, so it's kind of hard. He goes out, shoots one of four. All of it came from three. That's all I need to do. I think that's his new role, given Giddy and SGA's just success uh, as a ball handler, and he can play like that just as well. Uh, as he does off or on the ball. So I was all right with it. 
Deck played three minutes, so it's kind of just a wash. Lots of guys were in here for less than 10 minutes a game. So you kind of ran a rotation of like only eight guys anyways. Take out the or take out the starters. Only three people played above 10. And it was Kenrich Williams at 19, Isaiah Roby at 16, and Ty Jerome at 14. So this was playoff basketball damn near. They were putting out their, their front artillery the entire time. And they weren't looking to get out of this game. You know, you could throw out the younger guys match up like who like Trey Mann versus Austin Reeves why not do that but they were not going to fall down and because of it they got themselves a major comeback win and they're going to have the opportunity to cash in even more chips you had the Lakers riding in high they're going to be playing the Golden State Warriors after two days so I guess that will be on Saturday night they're going to be playing in Oakland excuse me they're going to be playing in San Francisco and the Golden State Warriors are still undefeated. They had the game against the Thunder, haven't played since. They're going to have one game uh, in between now and when they actually suit up to play the Thunder. They're 5-0. and This will be a very fun game. And I think with the built-up momentum, this rematch will be very, very entertaining. So make sure to tune into that. I'll get you guys a game preview. Also going to get you guys some news on the Oklahoma City Blue soon. Know some of you guys are interested in that. So watch out for that pod. Anyways, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.